Welcome, everybody, to another wonderful episode of Float, Float Your Boat. boat. The, Brett, please, don't interrupt. Your boat, your boat, your boat. So I'm here with the ubiquitous Brett Pattinson. What does ubiquitous mean, George? You're everywhere, all the time. All over the shop mm. like a mad woman's Like breakfast. the blob. Do you remember the movie The Blob? The yeah, 50s? I do. You're kind of like the blob. Like your belly. <laughs> the blob. <laughs> don't, don't laugh at something that arrives five minutes before me. <laughs> hey, George, why do ducks have feathers? I don't know, Brett. Why do they? To hide their bum quacks. <laughs> your dad jokes are, are pathetic. I know. Uh, but I actually laughed at that one. made my Billy oh. laugh. She liked it. Your Billy goat laugh? Yeah, no, my daughter Billy. Oh, oh your daughter Billy. Yes. Speaking you of... You and goats, see? Straight away, you're back into the goat thing, aren't well, you? Well, I'd, like I'd like to go back to Greece and enjoy, you know, a bit of ouzo, some Greek salad, goat. That's another story for another day. But, Brett, who do we have on today? Today we have a gent named Eve Stenning. And what does Eve Stenning do? Eve Stenning has a series of children's books called The Dinner Detectives. He's a, it's, it's quite interesting the, the approach he's taken with um, his writing. I mean, he comes from a very colourful background. I should say a varied background, right? Yeah. He's, he's done a bit of everything and we'll let him explain what that is, but mainly in the, in the field of arts. And, and yeah. In the field of arts, but th this series is travelling back in time and around the world to uncover magical mystery stories behind food we eat every day. Now, I'm guessing, I'm guessing uh, the inspiration came from uh, frustration with his kids trying Correct. to get them, <laughs> most likely, but we'll let, him, we'll let him tell us the story, shall we? Let's get him in. Let's get him in. Float Your Boat podcast about how everyday people created their road to success. The highs, the lows, pitfalls and potholes and how they overcame it all. And now, here are your hosts. So, the name Stenning is... There's a, there's a village up a river about 90 miles west of Brighton in England... And I only discovered this a few years ago because my aunt did the family tree. And up that river, where, the, where it's not navigable anymore, mm -hmm. is a town called Stenning. And I think a bunch of Vikings just sailed up that river, you know, about 500 AD and raped and pillaged and said, well, this is now Stenning. Yeah, right. okay. <laughs> you know, everyone here is Stennings. And, uh, yeah... I, I, I didn't know where we came from. People told me that we were either German or, or Danish. Um, but Stenning's not a German were, name. Were you born here? Or? No, I was born in New Zealand. Right. So, but, so my, my, my ancestors left England about 1830 and came to Australia. Right. Um, and then one side of the family in the 18, late 1840s or 50s uh, went to New Zealand when um, 
Christchurch because it was called it's all, that whole area is called Canterbury mm. and the and the, the Bishop of Canterbury um, Herald the Trumpets yeah Herald the Trumpets that's right go and um, go and kick out those Maoris and <laughs> yeah. settle okay. settle Canterbury and you know for people coming from England that was depressed at the time yeah um, uh, there was uh, there was land, um, and you know seaports and um, and a market waiting for all those products to be shipped back to to the motherland. Um, so my a bunch of them left and went to New Zealand, um, and then from from Canterbury, uh, they were all carpenters and you know they were all they were all working Trade, men yeah. trades. Yeah. And, and from there they left and there were two boys in the family. Somehow they got into concrete making, pipes and concrete. And there were two boys in the family who said to their father, we're going to go up to this town called Hawara on the North Island, just south of New Plymouth, right, right under um, Taranaki, Mount Taranaki. Yep. And um, they, yeah, they headed up there said, we'll be back in six months, go and build the water tower, never came back. So my father, his his whole family from those days, and that must have been, I guess, the 20s or 30s, were in Hawara, this little town just south of New Plymouth. And New Plymouth well, is not a big town. No, still uh, to this day. <laughs> still to this day. Um, you know, and uh, so my, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, my father... Um, that that generation of the family, they all grew up in that town. And when did you uh, escape the clutches of the long white? When I was four years old, 1969, 68, my parents packed their bags, got on a ship and came over to Sydney. And um, Looking um, for what? Escaping New Zealand, really, rather than looking for something else. I mean, New Zealand wasn't an economic powerhouse in those days, like it is now. Yes. Lights out of six. Well, that's right. That was the old joke, wasn't it? You know, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> the last person to leave New Zealand, please turn out the lights. You know, that was what people said in the seventies. And I think I, I, now they have um, the population is growing again. They have migration. People are going there. Auckland's a buzzing city. Um, even Wellington. People in Wellington think it's you know the bee's knees. It's the most fantastic city in the world. Still, the, you can't change the weather. The weather is just... Even in summer, it's not that great. Well, uh, I, I look, I, I It's like being, living on the west coast of Scotland, you know. Yeah. It's just, it blows so well, hard. It's bloody good for the Scots, isn't it? It is. And, and, like, yeah, and it. yeah, the other side of my family is Scottish, you know, Crawfords, and they're all... Right. Yes, they, they, yes. Those, those dour Scots, they do like it. Well, of all the know. countries they could have chosen within the... That's country, right. ...within the empire... <laughs> They, they went to the South Island of New Zealand. That's right. Yes, my, well, my grandmother, Crawford, uh, she she was always so tight with money. I mean, the cliche is true. You know, uh, she I grew up with her telling me stories of the GFC, uh, not the GFC, of the of the Depression. And when the GFC happened, I th- I thought of my grandmother's stories. I thought, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. This is where we're headed. Yeah, if we're going to have another depression, you she know, thirty five percent unemployment. Um, I thought I was living in America at the time, and I and my wife was pregnant with baby number two, and and within six months before the stock market crashed, everything kind of 
collapsed in the film industry. There was no work. People were just cancelling shows left, before right and centre. Before the market collapsed. Before, way before. Everybody knew before in the States. And uh, I thought, I don't want to be living in a country where there's no social net, yeah. you know, with a second baby. Uh, I thought, oh, oh, boy. And then I got offered a full-time job back in Australia and I just... I grabbed it with both You're hands. You're on the next ship. Yeah, that, <laughs> so, so to speak. Day you yeah. Came, yeah. The, the day you landed, the GFC uh, grenade went off, did it? Well, um, <clears throat> what happened was, no, my, uh, we were living over there, you know, I was working in production in the film industry and TV industry, and we were, we were just making ends meet, but I was getting along in my career and I was getting, you know, better known and I was starting to write a lot of... Um, I was writing a lot of spec scripts, but I was also submitting scripts to TV programs and things like that. So my career was on the cusp. And then my wife got a job when our daughter was about 18 months old. She got a job with a funds management company, which was a... Um, she's got an economics background. You know, we like chalk and cheese. And wow. she, she got this job with a funds management company down in Orange County. So she'd drive down there every morning and uh, the fantastic thing about that was they offered her a full-time position. So suddenly our health care was going to be covered and, covered and everything everything was going to change. We were like, ooh, everything we've worked for, you know, we'll at least start to get solid now. And we were thinking about buying a house. Uh, and um, she had to get a new visa and I had a job to do at NIDA because I, I was a guest lecturer there. So I said, okay, well, look, I've got to go and run this course for six weeks. You've got to get a new visa. Let's get on the plane now and get over there um, a week or so beforehand. And literally, as we were packing our bags that week to get on a plane to come home, we were only going back for six weeks. Uh, that was the week when everything started to collapse. You know, every morning and every afternoon, that that happened. Yeah, you know, un a, unraveled. A, yeah, you know, a, a funds management company or a savings and loan yeah. or an insurance company was collapsing. And that six months before that, it was one a week. Yeah. And then that week, it was one or two every morning and every afternoon. Mm. And I, it, was, it was totally shocking. You know, it was just, it was extraordinary to witness. And my wife was talking about the behaviour at work too, you know, the traders and what was going on and the panic that was, you know, there. Mm. She said it was kind of horrible coming home. She, she started to feel extremely nervous about what was going on as well. And so we got on a plane. I started work, and I can't remember when the market collapsed. I think it was the next week. You're right. You know, and and then we were like, well, my God, you know, we're back here, but we don't live here. Some other people are living in our house. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that right. was the one thing we had going for us, actually, that we owned a house in Redfern. And um, we, we, we could move back in there eventually if we needed yeah. to. But, well, in the stock crash, we then lost all our money, you know. Yeah. So... We were, you know, literally <laughs> one of the victims of the circumstance. And, but we still owned our home. And then NIDA offered me a full-time job and I just said, honey, we're not going back. We're not. We can't. Mm. It's impossible. Did, and, you know, did, did you find that um, um, soul-destroying? Oh, completely you... and utterly. I mean, uh, you know... <clears throat> Anyone who's picked up their lives and moved overseas, especially when you've got a family, it makes me feel, you know, emotional now thinking mm. about it. It it really killed me because it was it was a big dream of mine and it was starting to come to fruition. I then, Belle got her new visa, but, you know, she, we'd made the decision that 
we weren't going to go back as a family. So I had to go back and pack up our house and put everything in a container. And that moment when the last pieces went in that container and the guys closed the door, I just, you know, it just, it broke my heart. It mm. broke my heart. I thought, oh, God, you know, all this effort, all this this dream. But I went back to what my grandmother said, you know, and I thought, well, at least I've got my health. Mm. I live in a fantastic country, Australia. What a country to go back home to, mm. you know. And and I had a job. I wasn't unemployed. Um, and I thought, well, other people have had it worse than me, you know, toughen up. You so know? what was it? What was the dream? What was it? Well, the, what was the, what was the prize? The, the well, the prize was to to be um, living in. You know, LA. For if you work in the film and television industry, LA is like the biggest mining town in the world. You know, but the the studios are the mines and. You, when you live and work in Australia, you get to work. You get used to working very hard for a little, very little return, and also there's just not a volume of of work. I mean, Hollywood produces something like um, like 360 films a year, or it used to. It's a little bit less now. Television programs, I mean, literally hundreds of television programs, and they're all being made in LA. Mm. You know, it's 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 like a dream that. Place. Whereas here we do what like 50. TV shows a year or... Oh, much less now. (coughs) Much less. If you're talking drama or comedy, if you're talking, you know, uh, scripted material, that's much less. You know, there's just a handful now. Right. And and, um, in... And and a lot of people in the market trying to get that work. Yeah, exactly. Highly competitive, uh, you know, still... There were... when When I became a director, which was not until I was in my mid-30s, you know, there was... It was very, very difficult to get a job in TV as a director because so many people have been doing it for 25 years, you know. And so you had to wait for somebody to die. Yeah, basically. basically. <laughs> you know, or, or, you know, or just, you know, kill them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of wasn't an option, really. For yeah. me, you know? but, but before before becoming a director, you actually yeah. tried your hand at acting, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, well, I, I was an actor for a very long time. I, I was a professional yeah, actor when I finished school. Uh, well, I think I told you, you know, sometimes I was very good and sometimes I was just terrible you know I was I was I I had a mixed career I think I got better as I got older um and I um I you know as as an actor you're you're always torn you feel like you want to a your your duty is to serve the script and b uh, listen to the director and often you um, receive very bad direction <laughs> you know? yeah. and you 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 kind of torn you 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 think you know what you should be doing but you only half know that and you're getting direction from directors in tv and theater and film and and um sometimes i wasn't the most secure person to have the presence of mind to say no i don't i, I think it should be like this you know and deliver the performance you think it should be. So, um, and I just don't think I was, I don't think I was good enough until I'd spent a time as a professional, until I was really in my sort of late 20s. I think I matured as an actor. I got a whole lot better. You do see it. You see it in a lot of, in a lot of young actors. Um, having taught a lot of actors at NIDA, you see a lot of young actors knowing intellectually that they shouldn't emote, they shouldn't act, uh, they should just be, they should become this character. 
uh, it's another thing to really commit to that and do it. Because the best actors, the best actors don't perform in a sense, they reveal. And they don't look like they're acting. That's right, that's right, they don't. And, they don't. And I guess they're that being they a living, a breathing person. Right. Yeah, that's the kind right. of stuff you see in a B-grade movie. Yeah, you yeah. can see they're trying hard. Yeah, to act. yeah, exactly. They're trying hard, and trying hard usually means you're you're portraying emotions that aren't real. Mm. You know, usually that's what it comes down to. So, who's your favourite actor? Oh, that's a very good question. But I I do think some of the Australians are some of the best in the world at the moment. Um, mm. um, I love... I think Nicole Kidman is someone who has matured as an actor spectacularly and recently some of her recent performances are just fantastic. Uh, the um, Big Little Lies, A Little Big yeah, Lies. she was good in that. Very good. Very, very good. And, like, really good. Uh, um, I've always liked... Javier Bardem, yeah. I really like him. Uh, there's a movie he he starred in, one of my favourite movies of all time, which is The Sea Inside. It's a spectacular film. Um, wonderful actor. I like Naomi Watts too. I think she always delivers a really great performance. I knew Naomi years ago. She right. and I did an ad together, but we knew each other socially as well. She's, I think she's a fabulous actress. And I think, um, um, you know, Mr. Good-looking, the guy with the incredible body who can sing and dance. Mr. Jackman. Oh, I thought you were talking about uh, Chris Hemsworth. Mr. Jackman. Yeah, you know, I... I (laughs) What? You can't say that. (laughs) I I watched, um, with my kids, I watched... uh, I had never watched it before because I'm not big on musicals. uh, And... Uh, I'd I'd ignored it, but I sat down with my kids just recently to watch uh, Les Misérables, and I couldn't believe his performance. Mm. It's mm. just spectacular. He, he's such a fine actor, and to and to be able to the range that he has, you know, yeah. to play Peter mm. Allen. Mm. And mm. Uh, did you see that show? Mm. Yes, I did. Well, oh, that was just Brilliant. amazing. He, he he's just so funny and witty and and. And clever, and he can dance, and he can sing, and he can act. It's just, he's just one of those. He's an extraordinary talent. I remember seeing him at the South Sydney <coughs> Juniors doing a, right. doing a cabaret show. Right. And years and years ago. Yeah, and, yeah. And I thought he was pretty spectacular yeah. back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he yeah. can, he so can sing. So he had all dance. the hallmarks of, uh, of greatness I think about so. Him. I yeah. Really did. Yeah, I remember, <coughs> I can't remember what it was, but I remember seeing him something very early on as well and thought, oh, wow, this mm. a star is born. This, you guy, know. Yeah. this guy's amazing. The only downside to Hugh is that he's a member of North Bondi Surf Club and not Bondi Surf mm. Club. That's a big right. downside. It is for us. Yeah. So in other words, he's We're not pretty disappointed about oh. not getting to see him and his budgie smugglers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the girls are. You'd have to That's say. what I mean. <laughs> oh, of course, of course, yeah. yeah. It's no man crush cut on the girl, is it? <laughs> We'd invite him to our, our brew up, wouldn't we? <laughs> we, we, would, we would. We would. We would. But it is a significant thing to, to, to consider. I mean, I, mm. yeah, it disappoints me as well. I kind of. Yeah. Crestfallen. Yeah. But get what? back to your dream because mm. we we did sort of oh, segue. Okay, I, yeah. I just I, I'm we'll come back to this in a minute because yeah, yeah. I have to I have to ask you a couple of questions. But yes, let's get back right. to your dream. Okay. No, you want to answer the question? 
<laughs> He's forgotten. I've forgotten too. No, no, no. So, so, so what was the ultimate goal? Where did you want to? Where did you see yourself getting uh, to in LA? And well, I, I, I came out of film school in '99 as a director with a short film that had been invited to festivals all over the world, and uh, I. I still hadn't graduated when I was sitting uh, at a screening of my film at the Sydney Film Festival in the short category. It was a finalist. Uh, and this advertising executive came up to me and said, do you want to make an ad? And I said, yeah, you know, you bet. Oh, yeah, that's real money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, so many, so many, I don't know whether you know this, but so many great directors have started their careers in advertising. So Ridley Scott, you know, he, he's... He was an advertising director for years, and I thought, yeah, hell yeah. And it was a, it was a charity uh, job for Red Cross, and Red Simons was in it. Uh, so I I grabbed that with both hands, and I then started a little production company, uh, so I could make television commercials. And it was basically the opportunity a to make money, and make good money in those days, and get. You know, the toys out of a truck every now and then, shoot an ad, cut an ad, have relationships with crew members and, you know, and it would give me time to write or collaborate with writers on film and television projects that I was interested in and hopefully shot myself around and see if I could get work as a director. Mm. But the only work I could get was the work I generated myself through my own business. Uh, and that that frustrated me and I... I had tried to get a couple of projects up down the usual funding path and often with some really great people. You know, Martin Brown was um, uh, producing in pre-production a, a project that I had created uh, and like many experiences with directors trying to get projects up, we got all the way down the end of the track with you know, distributors in Europe, distributors in Australia, distributors in the US, uh, a local broadcaster, SBS, a local cinema chain saying yes, you know, putting together what is a house of cards of financing a project only to go to, you know, one of the uh, government funding bodies and then saying no. And then, you know, it literally collapsing overnight. And and, I, and I'd experienced that once or twice and I thought, I can't stand this any longer. Uh, I'd after my experience in 99, 2000, the film going around the world to lots of different film festivals, I got offered an agent in LA, uh, but I, I didn't take him up on it. And I really should have, in retrospect, you know, there are some moments in your life where you look back and you think, yeah, 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 yeah. should have taken that opportunity. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, but I didn't because I'd, I'd, I'd recently met the woman that I would marry and we'd been together about three years and... Uh, she was also wanting to study. She thought she might study in the US, but that was going to be very expensive as well. And she then started to study here. So I thought, well, I'll wait a few years and I'll continue with my production company and I'll see if I can get more projects up. And mm. didn't take that opportunity in the States, long and short of it. Um, and then uh, something else happened in our lives. Um, very big thing happened in our lives and at the end of that I thought I'm not doing what I want to do anymore and the dollar had started to go north 
you know, about 2005, mm. the dollar started to go over 72 cents and, and that had a really big impact on the advertising production market in Australia because if advertisers couldn't make it for under that price, then they'd go to other places like Mexico or Eastern Europe or mm. New Zealand mm. and make ads. And suddenly I wasn't getting ads at that level. I was starting to get ads at really low budgets where I, you know, I was working for a month and I was just making, <laughs> you know, what a... Um, you were paying them. Just, well, it wasn't quite, but it was getting damn close. And I thought, this is not a business anymore. I can't, no. I can't survive doing this. Mm. And maybe I actually need to go to the mine mm. and, and get an agent again and start, you know, you know, follow that dream of becoming a director for hire in the States. Right. And, and that would take a few years to, to make myself known, to meet people, to get involved, uh, to write projects. So that was a three-year plan, uh, which ended in the story I told you about yeah. before, of you know, the GFC happening and thinking, well, now I need a real job. <laughs> so well, the first time in my life I, I needed a real job because, you know, I had a child, a wife who was pregnant and the GFC had just happened and all the, all the jobs that I was lined up for on films and TV programs just got cancelled. Yeah, right. You know, they just disappeared. So you, so, so you came back here and started yeah. a production company again? Or? No, I, I started um, uh, working at NIDA for... Right. I worked there for about two years and then I went and worked for a business consulting firm in Sydney, in, in the city. And I worked there for about two years and then I left there and started a communications consulting business, consulting to corporates about big pitches and tenders and internal communication with their teams and staff and having more valuable conversations with their clients, things like that, right. that people were prepared to pay me uh, good money to advise them on. But you know? that's, that's, a, that's a bit of a segue. It was a segue. It was a segue. So I found myself in a situation where I, um, I wasn't really doing what I really wanted to do. And what was that? Well, that was writing stories, right. creating stories, right. uh, directing uh, film or TV again. So Burke Street Public School, we moved back into our house in, in um, Redfern when we came home, which was just such a blessing, you know, to at least we had that, you know, mm. to come mm. home to. Um, uh, I about, about three years ago, I also thought, I want to get back into video production. Mm. And then an old client of mine called me up and said, do you ever shoot video anymore? And I said, I haven't for about Five years. I stopped doing that because actually there was very little work for me. She said, well, do you want to come in and talk to me? And I said, sure, love to. I want to make six ads. I said, I love you. Okay, let's do it. So I wrote them and I directed them and delivered this um, campaign of ads to this business. And uh, that got me back into the game again. And at the same time, uh, my kids were at Burke Street. I, uh, when they were in year when my daughter was in year one they had a fate and the poster for the fate was drawn by Nigel and it was he's an extraordinary illustrator and I looked at that poster and I thought wow 
One of those stories that I wrote when I was living in LA, I wrote it for TV as a TV series, I thought that could make a really great book series, series of books. When I saw that poster, I thought, he's the illustrator for this job. So I then discovered who he was, I approached him, and I realised I'd met his wife previously, and in fact I'd seen his work before in a warehouse office that an architect friend of mine worked in, and I remember looking at them on the wall and thinking, wow, this, this guy's amazing. So I got in contact with him, and I said, look, I've just pulled out of the drawer this idea for a TV series, would you be interested in turning this into a series of books with me? And he took a look at it and he came back to me and said, I love it. Let's give it a tilt. And that's how we started. And now uh, you've written a script for Big Little Lies 2, right? At <laughs> <Burke> Street <laughs> Public. <laughs> Possibly. Well, there were, um, oh, I should be careful what I yeah, say. Yeah, but, you right. know, that's there, the there were themes that, that I could recognise. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell us a little bit about the, the actual books themselves. Because, <coughs> Pardon me. Because we can't show the listeners out there, but we can no, certainly... No, I know. When we were doing the preamble, we were... Um, they are great, great they illustrations. Are. Mm. They're really great. And you have 13 at the moment, 13 in the series. No, no, we only have two at the moment. We've, but, the, but you have the, you've written oh, yes, the, the scripts before, the third, so you have the basis. The third book was written two years ago. Right. Uh, and we expect to make 10 to 12 books in the series. Uh, we'll, we, we did do the first two in close succession. So the first book, A Fearsome Beast and a Dumpling Feast. The second book, A Tangled Tale of Tagliatelle, were released within six months of each other. So the first one was released in May, the second one came out just four weeks ago and we had a big launch at Dimmicks, which was fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. So give us, just, well, just give, give us a bit of a, a like a feel of, of why. Sure. I mentioned before that I was living in Los Angeles and my daughter was very young. And I, you know, it, it was so much fun having a young child, my wife and I living in a very nice house in Los Angeles and me working in the world I wanted to work in. I was writing every day that I had off from working on productions. And we were cooking meals for her when she started eating solids and cooking for ourselves. And we, you know, we weren't flush, so we'd have a lot of dinner parties with our friends as well. Mm. A lot of Americans thought that was very quaint. Oh, you Australians like having dinner parties. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, th I was like, what? Isn't this normal? No, it's not. You know, most, most people go out for, to restaurants and things. But, you know, we loved entertaining in our home. Uh, and it was easier when you have a child, you know, the whole babysitter mm. thing, yeah, blah, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Mm. Uh, but it was really, it was really cooking different foods for our daughter and enjoying what she discovered, you know, the flavours that she was discovering, just watching the expressions on her face as she tasted something new for the first mm. time. And it was, it was just so much fun. And I was intrigued by what kids liked to eat and what they didn't like to eat. And sharing with other parents that lived in the area or friends of ours that had similar age children, it was just fascinating discovering that, you know, what, what's a universal hit? What's universally loathed? What do kids like? Uh, what's it like having a fussy eater, you know? All those questions popped up. And also, living in America, I discovered for the first time that, uh, you know, well, 
for instance, the different ingredients that are available to you, and particularly living in Southern California where you're experiencing Mexican food, real Mexican food, mm. which is just a delight to discover. Mm. And <laughs> I always thought that chili came from India and potatoes came from Ireland and tomatoes came from, you know, Italy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was such a revelation to discover, no, chili came from America and so did potatoes and so did tomatoes. And I was intrigued by that. I, you know, to have an association... Uh, of a particular country with an ingredient like chili in India, mm. you know, it made me question, you know, well, why did I make that association and how did that journey occur? And, you know, what's the history behind that? And I then got fascinated with the stories behind different dishes. So that's a really long-winded way mm. of saying I was fascinated by the the origins of dishes and the stories that lay behind them. And I thought, that's intriguing. And that's really fun, you know, these journeys through history. Mm. Uh, and you can, and, you know, they, they are intriguing. And they, they are fun and enjoyable. Uh, and I thought, if you can get kids interested in those stories and telling those stories, and also the making of food, I discovered with fussier eaters, the more you involve them in what the ingredients are, and how that food came together. If you cook it together with your child and they see all those things, they're much more likely to taste it. Yeah, right. Or just give it a go, yeah. you know. Because uh, they feel like they've been a part of the whole process. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, my daughter, it's, it's switched from the characters in the book. So the two characters in the book, brother and sister, Clementine and Axel. Mm -hmm. Clementine is my daughter's middle name and Axel is my best friend in, a, in, in Los Angeles' son's name. So that's how I came up with those two characters, Clementine and Axel. Uh, uh, siblings, she loves to cook. He only eats white things. She'll taste anything. He won't taste anything unless it's white. You know? And in fact, my brother was the kid in our family who only ate white things. It's very common. Uh, so it was, it was these two kids going on a journey to discover the oranges of, of a dish and the fun story that lay behind that and then cooking the dish. That's why there's a recipe in each book just prompts a child that might be a fussy eater to try something new, to go outside their comfort zone, try a food from a different culture. And it works. If you ever look in, in your research mm. for, for your books, did, mm. you, did you ever answer the question... Uh, what did the Irish do before potatoes? What did the, is this a joke? What, no. <laughs> no. What is did it, the what Italians did the do before do? they discovered tomatoes? What did what did the um, Indians have before they discovered chilies? Uh, well, look, they're really... That's a bit strange, don't you think? They are interesting questions. In India, for instance, you when you go north, the further north you go, the less sort of chilli influence there is. And you go up into Nepal, there's hardly any chilli or spice in the mm. food. It's very... Very plain. Very plain, very mild, nuanced. There's more uh, uh, kind of herbal flavour mm. rather than spice. And, and that's... Uh, Interesting. You, I'm not sure because I'm not a I'm not an expert on derivations of foods, but you 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 can you can imagine what it might have been like. Uh, the 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 chilies were introduced to India through the port of Goa by the um, um, oh, 
Portuguese. Portuguese. Thank you. Yeah, I was going to say Spanish. The Portuguese, and you know, so the the traders took those chilies from America through to Portugal, onwards to India. Uh, it, it is it is interesting because the, uh, these ingredients have affected the cuisines well, so extraordinarily, yeah, haven't they? Of you know, course, you wouldn't. Italy without tomatoes. Exactly. You know, what would they it's do hard without to, tomatoes? It's hard to believe. <laughs> <laughs> and there are many many dishes in Italy without tomatoes, of course. But it's no such way. a <laughs> well, you know, the the national salad. They um, they even call it, you know, the. Uh, Insalata caprese. They they call it the patriotic salad because it's red, green, and white. Mm. Uh, it it's p- such a part of their culture. Mm. It's hard to imagine. But there there were, there, well there there were dishes before pasta. You know, as as the second book is about a tangled tale of tagliatelle. That's so, all about where did pasta come from? Where did pasta come from? Well, please enlighten us, because I don't want to say in case I'm wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Well, isn't that that's part of being uh, a radio presenter and a parent? Uh, Yes. Well, there there are debates, Hmm. but the story, you know, that one of the myths, let's call it a myth, uh, one of the explanations is that when Marco Polo travelled with his brothers to China, that journey that took. 23 years there and back, he returned to Italy with noodles. And he knew how to make noodles because he spent a lot of time in China and everybody was eating noodles in China. In fact, noodles go back about 4,000 years. They've found archaeologists, at least 4,000 years, because archaeologists have found noodles in tombs, in still in ceramic bowls. Those three-minute ones, right? Yeah, that's right, that's right. They, yeah, that's the joke in the book. They were dried noodles. Oh, really? <laughs> Well, at least we're on the same <laughs> That's <part>. right. <laughs> well, you know, there's kind of a dad joke, really, isn't yeah, it? That, that's that it. Dried that's noodles. our dad joke. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, there's a dad joke in the book. Um, and, you know, it's not that funny, really, but no. I like it. Yeah, I thought you delivered it well. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Well, uh, so, yes, he... The, Noodles were brought back, uh, so the story goes, so the myth goes, by Marco Polo to Italy. But there, there are other stories that, uh, you know, the, the Arabs had a lot of influence, um, the Ottomans and other Islamic countries that visited Europe mm. on a regular basis from the south, mainly from Libya and Morocco, uh, that introduced uh, types of pasta that looked like rice originally. So there were there were like droplets of pasta uh, that's still part of the, um, uh, you know, uh, the diet in several North African countries. Uh, that was actually the, where, where pasta was in, from where pasta was introduced. Well, there you go. Yeah. Did like you know that, Couscous? George? You mean, like... like well, no, couscous, couscous, is, couscous is, is, is semolina, but yeah. it... Yeah. it uh, no, actually making pasta, uh, but the, but the form like that, that's quite common is these it. little droplets. Right. Yeah, ah. dried little droplets of ah. pasta. No, I, I can't remember the name of it. I, it's uh, it's some trivia oh, that you didn't yeah, know. No, but I do remember. Rare, I do remember um, reading that uh, that uh, Marco Polo wasn't responsible for bringing noodles, to, uh, bringing pasta to Italy. Mm. That it was there well before he went on his journey. Yes, and there. Well, there were. So there are there. Are, there's a history of big sheets like lasagna, of of pasta, and that was. From memory, so forgive me, anybody listening to this program who knows 
the correct word, but I think it was something like lagagna or it's something like that, very similar word to lasagna. Uh, and the, the, the derivation of that goes back a long way, I think, to Greeks, actually, so to ancient Greeks. Of course it all goes back of to course, Of course, of course, I'm sitting here with a Greek. <laughs> yeah. Come on, seriously. <laughs> We're responsible for everything, mate. <laughs> I don't know. I just, did so well. <laughs> I don't know. I just threw up. <laughs> just, yeah, just wipe that <laughs> vomit off the microphone. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Come on, guys. You know the, you know the story. You know yeah, the, the story of the Greeks. The they, they, yeah. they, uh, they were professionals in so many different endeavours. Goat loving, mm. especially. <laughs> that was their best. <laughs> Do you think this will become a... a Possibly a series, like a it is a like series a video, now. No, like a video series. Oh, oh, or a TV. Yeah, you or know, an like animated a, series, an like animated an, a, series. animation. I mean, you're you're still you're still obviously dabbling in the world of production and and directing. Yeah, so to, I'm mainly doing there. I'm mainly doing um, uh, TVCs and and yes. uh, corporate work, um, commercial work for organisations. But yes, we are in discussions at the moment with people about a possible TV series. People who know people. Yeah. Oh, people. Little people who yeah. know bigger people. And no, I, I, the men I behind the men. The, and, the yeah. characters are fantastic. I can imagine that, you know, on Nickelodeon or one of those big... Yeah. You know, and yeah. you'll be back off you'll to be, America. You'll, you'll be, you'll <laughs> Possibly. Be, you'll be well, complete if you animate, you direct... You edit, and you also come up with the um, and theme song. And the theme song. <laughs> well, you know what, you know what, George. I, 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 my ego is not so large that I need to do all those things. But we're we're in discussions with a group of guys in Sydney who are a production company. They're an animation production company. Uh, they're called uh, Dave Enterprises. I've heard of Dave yeah. Enterprises, and they're they're. Really lovely guys. They're really relaxed. They're super professional. They know their their world backwards, and um, we're just um, seeing, you know, where it goes with them at the moment. But you know, we'll we'll see. It, you know, in in this business, um, there there are many a great idea pitched that never comes to fruition. So, yes, yeah. and that's just the game, right? Mm. Um, d dependent on so many people down the track. But yeah, we're they're they're really great bunch of guys and I would love to be, I'd love it more than anything if we started making a TV series. I've been trying to produce, you know, all kinds of projects over my uh, <laughs> sad and slow <laughs> career as a, as a film director and writer. Uh, you know, so we'll see. We'll see. I'm, uh, you know, as my my wife always rolls her eyes. Yeah, yeah. she's she's always like, yeah, I'll believe that when I see it. You know, yeah, you my wife. She doesn't get excited about anything. It's like, yeah. no, 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 that no. That is my wife to a T. Let's let's not let's make a pact to not let the three of them get together. Yeah, yeah. have a lot of stories to tell. And my my husband promised me this, and it didn't. Happen. He promised that, and it didn't happen. Mm. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> no. But you know, we're still together, so there's got to be. You know, she's um, she's uh, she's a stayer. And as your you know. bio says, you're you're still in love and still happy, and that's fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> I think that on a serious note, that that's a pretty that's a that's one of the great things in life, really. I, I do think it is one of the great things in life. I I do. You know, I just I just feel like I'm. 
the luckiest man to to be still in love with my wife after well we've been married now for 17 years and we've been together for 20 and um i i really do feel very lucky that we still like each other mm. you know yeah. let alone then love each other you've got two great healthy kids that's right that's and right a, i mean and a series of books and yeah, yeah. i think it's, i think it's all upside well, i know i know i know I, and i and i and you know what i i i'm, I'm just very grateful i'm i just think we're we're the luckiest people in the world living in such a wonderful country in a wonderful city with two healthy kids you know the sun comes up every day and mm. life's pretty yeah. good in australia right and you know it's pretty good, <laughs> it's pretty good. It's i mean i just love living in sydney it's just such a fabulous yeah. city. it is beautiful yeah. and and speaking of lucky you've mm. met you had a meeting with you met donald trump <laughs> can, we, can we admit that as being is that lucky? Lucky, lucky. Yes, that was lucky in inverted commas, <laughs> listeners. <lucky>. Yeah. <laughs> Donald Trump went tell to... Us, tell us how that happened. <laughs> yeah, tell, tell us oh, boy. Okay, oh, so, uh, yes. And another famous person. You can tell him. Uh, you can tell us about him afterwards. Okay, I will, I will, I will. Uh, so, yeah, I, I have met Donald Trump. Uh, a great old friend of mine... Uh, uh, was working in reality TV. And he worked for the company that produced The Apprentice. Oh, okay. The Apprentice was shot in New York. Uh, the production company had been responsible for, you know, Race Around the World and, and all these other reality programs. So it was huge by then. And uh, my mate gave me a call... Uh, we were heading over to New York for a week. We were doing a house swap with some friends. They were coming to LA. We were going over there. And it just happened to be that the week we were there, he said, oh, well, you can come and see the recording of the final episode of The Celebrity, the, I'll say that again, the Celebrity Apprentice. And I, I, I kind of laughed because I'd never watched the program, right? Mm. I didn't care about this reality yeah, yeah, TV right. show. It wasn't my thing. Um, but I thought, well, you know, to go up the elevator in the Rockefeller Center in the middle of Manhattan uh, to watch a TV program being produced, you know, on the stage floor in the audience for the final uh, and have go to the party afterwards, I thought, oh, that's fantastic. That's Got just an, that, yeah. that's an opportunity we can't miss. So we found a babysitter, I can't remember who, and um, headed uptown, went and watched the show. And then my mate said to me afterwards, hey, you, you know, because he was known as the Trump whisperer. He was the guy who... Who <laughs> kept him in line. Who kept him in line. <laughs> uh, so even then, you know, it was um, understood that, uh, you know, he needed keeping in line. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he introduced me to him. And it was an odd experience, I must say. Mm. It was really... It was odd. I'm not just saying that yeah. because I, yeah. I actually can't stand the man. I just think yeah. he's the worst thing that's ever happened to the United States. And, you know, maybe soon he won't be there anymore. But um, what was odd about it was he 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 is a strange man. You know, he's very tall. That was the mm. thing I noticed. And you've noticed I'm not exactly, you know, I'm a little... Vertically challenged. Vertically challenged. I, I'm not short, I, I have to say, but I'm not tall. Um, he He shook my hand and then he kind of stood back and looked at me like I was, you know, oh, you're kind of odd. You know, and I, I don't know if I'm that odd. <laughs> and, and he introduced we, we, and my wife was introduced to him as well, and we both shook hands. And I, I didn't notice at the time anything odd about his hands because I was looking at how 
odd, odd he was he re- well how oddly he was reacting to me it was it was kind of weird he it was like he was summing me up as if to say should I have just shaken your hand you know are yeah, you right, are you right. worthy of this I don't know whether you are yeah. you know I wasn't wearing a tie I think I you know I probably looked like an arts farts wanker I probably had a you know black turtleneck turned down you with know, a beret jersey and a, and a false as massage. smoking a pipe yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why I would have thought I was weird <laughs> Surely. <laughs> Isn't that how everybody goes to the celebrity apprentice? Uh, yeah, so I, I met other people that night. It was a very weird night. There was Nadia Comaneci. There were all these. Oh, yeah? yeah, and I was I was thrilled to meet her, but I did know did that she... Did you hold her in your hand? <laughs> <laughs> no. She Pop was tiny, Nadia. absolutely tiny. And, yeah. and, I, and I was thrilled to meet her because I, I had remembered watching her. You know, as a child, yeah. I watched her yeah. win the Olympics. Yeah. And Perfect thought, 10s. Perfect 10s. And she was this, um, you know, wunderkinder. She was, I think she was only 11 or 12 or something. When now she, she's just a kinder surprise. She is, she is. Um, well, well, I did know, because she's Romanian, she had right. this absolutely shocking experience, you know, um, of, of abuse from memory. And, you know, it, it sounded, that whole state sounded horrendous, mm. you know, the way people were treated um, under communist rule. Uh, and And... She was she was quite uh, quite a dark figure actually. I, I remember thinking, oh, you know, because I said, you know, you must be you must hear all the time people say how much they um, uh, admired you when they were you know my age, mm. if they were my age as mm. children watching you, and and she really just didn't want to talk about it. It was an odd night. It was there were a lot of people like that. Wow. You know, these very famous people uh, there at this recording uh, with. Um, with just odd, it was strange discussions that I had. I remember being relieved when we were leaving. You know. So, Eve, um, how can people access your yes? Okay, your well, books, etc. Let's try and sell some. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. well, lovely. Website. Shameless self promotion. <coughs> now, let's, oh, let's yes. go. I'll be. I can be shameless. The, the books are available at all good bookstores. Around All Australia, four of them, <laughs> and now, now, um, and and New Zealand, yeah. it's oh, uh, five. five. It's available at you know Dimex, Ariel, Harry Hartog, Burkolo, all those stores. Excellent. And uh, it's also available on our website, dinnerdetectives.com.au, and it's available on uh, the likes of uh, not Amazon, but it is available on Booktopia and right. and some of those other book-selling websites. But if, but if anyone needed your services uh, in the world of directing, animation, mm-hmm. whatever, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, that's uh, through my business, Video Creative, so they can they can uh, check me out at videocreative.com.au. Eve, yeah. um, before we go... Yes? Your song, which is which oh. I won't say. You can tell tell us why. And I mean, I must say that that, that documentary um, is probably the best documentary of all time. That music documentary about Rodriguez. Oh yeah, isn't it wonderful? Yeah, Search, searching for Sugarman, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I had no idea. So I I grew up watching. Uh, sorry, I grew up listening to Rodriguez. To, and yeah, that album. Yeah, that album, Rod yeah. Rodriguez. It 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 was. It really had a huge influence on me, and I had no idea that he was unknown. Mm. Uh, so I must have been about 
13 or 14, living on the North Shore, North Shore suburbs of Sydney. Mm -hmm. And it was introduced to me by this girl uh, that I knew very well. And it became, it became part of the soundtrack of our lives. So that must have been uh, 13, so 76 mm. or 77. And I've been listening to that album. That is one of my favourite albums of all time, that along with, um, with um, uh, uh, Lou Reed's um, Velvet Underground. Mm. And, um, you know, there, there are some of those classic albums um, from that era that I kind of left behind in the in the 80s as my musical taste changed. But mm. they're the albums I keep coming uh, back, back to, to listen to. Yeah, Led Zeppelin and uh, the purity, the masculinity of those mm. those albums. Even I was listening to The Angels just recently mm -hmm. uh, because, I, you know, the, two of the guys in the band have died over the last two or three years, yeah. um, sadly. And just listening to those songs again, the power of those songs. What an amazing band the Angels mm. were. Eves, it's been a, gr a, a great pleasure to have you in. It's been a great pleasure being here with you guys. It's so, Thank you, know, it's what a nice radio program. And 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 I feel like I've, we've just been chewing the fat. Well, we, <laughs> we have, have been, really. <laughs> have been. Um, and hopefully yeah. when I edit this, I'll, I'll be able to keep most of the funny bits. Oh, let's hope so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let me tell you, I'll be in there. <laughs> Thank you, Eve. Thanks, Eve. Oh, you. pleasure, George. Thank you, guys. Mayor hides a crime rate, councilwoman hesitates, public gets irate, but forgets to vote dates. Weatherman complaining, predicted sun, it's raining. Everyone's protesting, boyfriend keeps suggesting, you're not like all of the rest. Garbage ain't collected, women ain't protected, politicians using. People they're abusing The mafia's getting bigger Like pollution in the river And you tell me that this is where it's at I woke out this morning with a lake in my head I splashed on my clothes as I spilled out of bed I opened the window to listen to the news But all I heard was the establishment's blues Gun sales are soaring Housewives find life boring Divorce the only answer Smoking causes cancer This system's gonna fall soon To an angry young tune And that's a concrete co-fact The Pope digs population Freedom from taxation Teeny bops are uptight Drinking at a stoplight Mini skirt is flirting I can't stop so I'm hurting Spencer sells her hopeless chest Adultery plays the kitchen, bigot cops than fiction. The little man gets shafted, sons and money's drafted. Living by a timepiece, new or in the Far East. Can you pass the Rorschach test? It's a hassle, it's an educated guess. Well, frankly, I couldn't care 